0: Welcome to the Husker Twenty Four Seven Podcast. I'm Brian Christopherson. I'm joined by uh, Michael Bruntz. He's got a green uh, kind of beanie cap. What is that? A Open Harvest? It says.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a co-op hat. So, oh, okay. Yeah.
0: And then a kind of a red hoodie. So I thought it was what I was going to get to. Is it's very festive.
1: I, I do. I just look like a big like Christmas light right now.
0: Yeah, it's cheering me up um, as we're both drinking our coffee at the same time. <laughs> We were kind of having like a standoff with our mugs. We both lifted them to our face.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's that time of year. I, I feel like we're just kind of shoehorning this in. You, you're preparing for a big hosting gig. Um, I, I'm still rushing around buying gifts. It's this is uh, it's that time of year. Oh, you're not done yet. No, I'm not. And it's
0: the 23rd of December. Let the record show. <laughs> it
1: doesn't. You kind of need that pressure of the deadline, right? Like, I'm not like heading out on like the 24th to get started, but I, I like a little, I like a little adrenaline with my shopping.
0: It's like a 8 p.m. kickoff and the Husker 24-7 printer press uh, rolls at 12:15, no matter what. So you're going to have to run down those stadium steps, get back up in a foreign stadium and, and find a way to get that story out.
1: Yeah, you might not get quotes in there, but you got to get something in the paper.
0: You know, I have – that brings me to another thought, and we will talk about real things here in a second because there are real things going on. But one of my biggest fears – you've maybe noticed this about me. At football games, I like to kind of leave a little early. Like I like to get up with about seven minutes left and make my way to the elevator because I have this great fear. It doesn't matter if I'm in Memorial Stadium or someplace. I don't know the layout very well. I have this worry. I'm going to get something's going to happen. The elevator is going to stop. If I'm on the road, I'm not going to know where I'm going, which has happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've almost missed a post game. And I believe you and I once. I think you were with me when we ran around Michigan Stadium once to get to the post game because they wouldn't let us run across the sacred turf there in Ann Arbor.
1: Yeah, we we did like a half mile run around the big house, and uh, that was the night that Amir Abdullah snuck in. Snuck in by the pylon to give Nebraska the big win, but and we were uh, hauling ass around the big house.
0: Yeah, people were ticked off around us.
1: The Michigan,
0: the Michigan men were not
1: happy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. All I remember from that too was the um, a a player's parent, a, a parent of a player now in the NFL, just absolutely laying into the michigan sideline from the front row and we tried to get down to the field and then we had to go back up um so that that that, that also sticks but yeah that's that's a big fear i i almost died in the uh the miami press box um elevator it kind of did one of those like not like a full like tower of terror thing where the elevator just drops but it, yeah. it, it kind of like shuttered half a floor down and then stopped and didn't move and then eventually started going. So whatever they call Joe Robbie Stadium now is like Hard Rock Cafe Field or something mm-hmm. that, that uh, I almost me and Rich Kypist, uh from the Omaha World Herald almost died in an elevator in uh, in Miami, which would have been a horrible way to go.
0: Did you see Roy Firestone while you were in Miami, uh, the former ESPN uh, great?
1: I did not. Okay. I, if I had, I maybe I would have been more comfortable with my life ending then. If, That's uh, a,
0: apparently he's a big deal down in Miami and he was up in the press box. This is dating myself. Some people who are like 22 years old, don't know who
1: Roy Firestone is.
0: Um, he's but, like
1: a, he's like a pre Tom Rinaldi.
0: Yeah. He's what he probably was the inspiration for Rinaldi. If he, if yep. he was honest about it uh, and it is in Jerry Maguire and uh, makes Rod Tidwell cry at the end of the movie for those who've seen that. Um, anyway, uh, some Husker fans are probably sad. That, that's my segue uh, about news uh, floating and seemingly to be confirmed soon here, officially confirmed 24 uh, seven sports. I know our Oregon site's been told it's a done deal with Tony Tuyote uh, to the, uh, to the ducks to coach the defensive line there. Um, so, I mean, that I, I guess people are kind of asking Bruns, What's the holdup here with why Frost isn't naming this, this last guy, you know, like what, what's the deal? If he knows what he's going to do, why not just say it? I have a feeling uh, all the levers are working together on this one. And there was some, there was probably some knowledge that there was a thing or two that could still happen with guys on your staff. And it's a wild carousel that's spinning around right now with jobs still open. So you got to remember
1: that. Well, and, and it's, there's, there's like, coaching there's like assistant coaching higher seasons right like you have the first one kind of in early December when the first round of college jobs open you've had quite a bit of shuffling this year with the domino effect of you know Lincoln Riley going to USC and then Venables to to Oklahoma and all these other kind of shifting things Um, then you have you know once the NFL season is done there's some more shuffling then. And it seems like the last few years too there's also been you know in February after national signing the the later national signing day there also seems to be some movement there too um, among assistant coaches so yeah I mean I I get the impatience with wanting this to be known and done and you know give Bill Bush the title because it seems like it's headed that way anyways but yeah, things I think are still kind of shaking out, and I mean the the thing to remember I mean it, it is pretty rare that you go through an offseason and don't have significant turnover with your assistant coaching positions, and you know that certainly with the way Nebraska's been the last few years record wise, um, you know that there's going to be some shifting too. So uh, you know this two thing sounds like it's a done deal um, according to our Oregon site. So that that's how you get kind of the math to work everywhere is maybe you reshuffle a little bit um, and, and get that that you, you get kind of your wish list of the special teams coordinator job plus um, you know you figure out your running back spot too
0: yeah bronze I, I would say most people in this fan base now understand that this isn't 19 19- 93 and you know you're probably not going to keep the same husker assistant coaching staff in place every year there's going to be turnover. I guess to you as you look at Tony going to Oregon when I first saw it, it it made sense to me. I mean I've always he's had great connections on the West Coast. Um he you know he he came from Cal, to Nebraska. Um I could see where where he would fit in the Pac-12 and and obviously uh, working for um uh, you know the guy who's a DC at Georgia and has had a lot of success and now is now taking over the head coach at at Oregon that that's probably an alluring thing so it doesn't surprise me from his standpoint why he's moving
1: no i don't i don't think that that's particularly surprising and I, I think too um you know when Nebraska hired Tony Tuoyodi from Cal you know the the book on him was you know this is a a, a rising star in the coaching ranks, a guy that um, had had a lot of success in Berkeley, um, you know, had recruited well and you're right about the West, the West coast thing I think is really important. I mean, I, I think for a lot of staffs in the PAC 12, it's important that you have to be tied into Hawaii, the Polynesian community and, and, and being able to pull guys out of, out of those places. And, you know, Tony, Tony Tuyoti has shown that he's got the connections there it's tough uh, at a place like Nebraska, especially uh, with the way that the record's been to kind of start, you know, getting those guys to Lincoln. I think you, you were starting to see the fruits of that labor a little bit, but I, I think it is a heavy lift sometimes um, to kind of get that established when you're in, in the in the Midwest. Um, you know, the, the the other thing that I think you can say for him too, and you can maybe weigh in on this, but. I, I thought he was very good at developing um, the, the guys that he had in his room over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I would say if you were to grade him as a coach at Nebraska, that was his strong suit was developing guys. Um, I'm not saying he didn't recruit some – we're going to see how his recruiting sort of pans out over the years ahead. I mean, there's some young guys still in the system that – or a year or two away maybe, your Buckleys and your your Weavers and guys like that. Um, but I think sort of what you saw that – how you saw that defensive line go from basically two seasons ago where I felt like they're still getting pushed around um, to a group that really – Damian Daniels' progress was a big part of it. But I, I think you, you've seen Ty Robinson get better. Uh, I think you saw Casey Rogers as a guy who people – wasn't on even – the radar screen two years ago and he, and he's jumped into it. So um, I, I think he's done a good job with, with what he has. And, and that is his, his biggest, his probably, I guess what you would say his uh, top grade at, at Nebraska. Now, as we look ahead, maybe I'm simplifying it. You can tell me if I am, I think if toyote has gone and you have two spots open, it kind of makes it pretty clear to me You uh, hire Bill Bush as a special teams coordinator. Um, You then go, I don't think, you know, from what Scott Frost has said, I get the impression Ron Brown's not going to be the full-time guy. Um, So you could go hire another recruiter slash running backs coach if you wanted with the other open spot. And then I guess people would say, well, what do you do with the D-line? You could move Mike Dawson to the defensive line, who of course worked with the defensive line before Tuioti. And then you could you could uh, patch together how you work your outside linebackers. Let's also remember Eric Chenander already works with the, what we call the Jojo Doman position, you know, that field linebacker, um, the outside sort of nickelback. He's already had those guys in his room. So basically you're just talking about the other side um, and Chenander could potentially handle that or you could share those responsibilities. What do you think of
1: that? Yeah, no, I, I think the the math on that makes sense. I think the responsibilities line up. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the the running back spot's kind of the interesting one because I agree. I mean, I, based on what Scott Frost said, um, it, it seemed less likely that 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 Ron Brown would be that guy. I think that Ron Brown is an important kind of sounding board for Scott Frost, but you know, at, at his at this point in his career, I don't know that he's necessarily out the, the guy out there to be, you know, recruiting every day and, and and kind of doing all that stuff. I think he's a great developer of talent and I think he's going to be involved with that group, but th- that might be, you know, one, one area where you look outside the program and bring somebody else in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think defensively that, that makes sense in, in my simple mind that, you know, you just have Chinander take on a mm-hmm. little bit more of a position group and, and everything kind of, Seems to work there. Um, You know, if, if Bill Bush is, in fact, your special teams guy, I'm a little eager to kind of see what his role looks like from a recruiting perspective, because, you know, he's a dynamic recruiter, has been great at a number of schools, LSU most recently, and you'd like to have him out there recruiting more than just punters, kickers and long snappers.
0: And for those who say, okay, well, where's where this? Are you just pulling this stuff out of air? You know, why, why Bill Bush? And I mean, that's what we've heard. But also, like in interviews, it's it's just flat out come out like Brian Bushini. I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> I'm going to learn. I really butchered that, Brian. I'm sorry. And I'm not talking to myself. That's another Brian, um, the, the transfer punter from Montana. He said in an interview, you know, he was trying to figure out, okay, what's Nebraska doing with special teams? Why should I go there? And as he told us, basically he's like, yeah, I get the sense that's Bill Bush's thing. And I'm really confident in what Bill Bush and Scott Frost are going to do. So, I mean, that's a big piece of the puzzle. They were trying to get that punter to come here and he's on the record. You know, if you want somebody on the record, just flat out saying Bill Bush's name with that position, there you go. Um, and then Scott Frost on the radio last week talking about Ron Brown said he wants him around like you're talking about, but he, he kind of joked, um, you know, about him going out recruiting all the time. And if maybe that's not his bag anymore. Um, so I don't know, but it sort of sounded like that wasn't the direction they were going to go with running backs coach. So there's that, um. And then there's, of course, the uh, the portal QB situation and guys keep going off the table. I think we had a bet last week, didn't we, Brunt, about um, if by this time we we're doing this podcast, if there would be a guy. And I don't I might have said yes, unfortunately. I stupid me because uh, I'm dead wrong.
1: Well your your level of concern, though, that there is not yet a guy. <clears throat> are you are you wringing your hands yet?
0: I'm not wringing my hands because it only takes one, and if he's the right one, uh, so be it. I mean, I know there's uh, who. Who would you say? Who would you say are the top guys out there uh, right now at this moment that are still on the board that Nebraska could get? Um, who Who would be number one on your list?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I. I'm at least moderately intrigued by uh, some of the guys coming out of the big 12, um, you know, Casey Thompson at Texas. That That's a name that's been somewhat linked to Nebraska. Um, he, he's had a good career at, at Texas. I kind of talking to some people around the network. I think the, the Thompson family is still kind of in fact finding mode right now. I, I guess I'm not, I'm not at a place where I, it's hugely concerning. I mean, I think this is going to be a situation where somebody, somebody says yes, without a visit, Um, you know, the fit works, you know, Slovis from USC going to pit this week, that that was one guy that I thought maybe kind of made sense. I, I, I wonder this though. And I wonder if this is kind of entering into the conversation quarterbacks, I wonder if quarterbacks on the portal right now are trying to figure out what Nebraska's offense is going to look like. I mean, that, that's kind of the big question I think around this, this Frost Whipple combo is, is how are the, how is this marriage of offensive styles going to work? And I, I wonder how much, you know, obviously Mark Whipple's background as a quarterback's coach is, is pretty long and established. So, you know, Scott Frost has worked with some talented quarterbacks too, but you know, you, you probably want to know, You know, for for an offense that ran the ball, what, twenty-two times with Logan Smothers against Iowa? You know, does a guy like Slovis make sense in that offense? Is it gonna be more pro style, which is more Whipples background? I mean, I I do kind of wonder how much that's factoring in some of these conversations is what the heck is this gonna look like?
0: And do uh, do any of the player soccer players on the Nebraska team uh, date any quarterbacks? That's a, another big question we got to get to the bottom of because that <laughs> seems to be how <laughs> transfer portal QB
1: decisions are made nowadays. It, it would it would, that that should probably be the first fact finding mission, right? Like Mark Whipple <laughs> shows did. up in his office and like we need to figure out the relationship statuses of Nebraska soccer players, please. <laughs>
0: I mean, for those who don't know, um, Slovis uh, went from USC to Pitt. His girlfriend's at Pitt and Adrian Martinez's girlfriend at K-State. So that's what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> and they both happen to be soccer players. Uh, yeah, I think Casey Thompson, of course, would be – I mean, that would get people fired up. I'm sure there's people who have seen him at High V already. Um, and, and you're right. I think th- there's probably – if you're doing your, your fact-finding – Uh, right now you're you'd want to know exactly okay what where are you going with that offense Um, you know that it could there's a lot of different routes you could take I do still think uh, Mark uh, I I I think Whipple has a good selling point through just what he did with Kenny Pickett at Pitt you know and he talked about with us um, you know at the round table the media how those guys should call Kenny Pickett and ask him what I'm about. So that that's a nice little part. And you hope that maybe comes into play, um, for Nebraska, but <clears throat> nothing is done yet. And, uh, there's other spots on the field where I, I still think they got to get some, some help too. I think in the trenches, they got to bulk up a little more, especially after the Cam Jergens departure. I don't know if we talked about that last week real quick. I mean, what's your level of concern about replacing cam now on the offensive line and sort of that situation
1: i mean it's a concern i mean when when you have an offensive line that you're trying to completely overhaul and you have a new coach coming in to do that i mean it, it would help to have a multi-year starter and kind of your, your captain of the offensive line to, to help you do that um i, I you know i thought cam Played pretty well, all things considered, this year. The snap issues were no longer uh, a problem for the most part. So that you know, the, they they seem to have confidence in some of the guys on the roster who have snapped previously. But I don't know that there's necessarily one guy on the roster right now that makes a ton of sense um, to, to just plug and go. So I mean, that that's a a spot where I think you look in the portal. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing, too, about the the, co- the quarterback conversation, I mean, you've got a lot of guys that are still playing football right now. And mm-hmm. even within the last couple of days, I mean, you've had quarterbacks from Illinois, Wyoming, Virginia Tech uh, enter the transfer portal. So there, there's still options out there um, and, and guys that are kind of mulling over decisions. Um, so I, that that's kind of why I'm not <clears throat> too panicked yet on, on where things sit.
0: Yeah, and – You know, I know everybody wants the big name who comes from a blue blood program that gets everybody fired up on the spot, but this is where you have to, you you hired a guy like Whipple for a reason where he, you know, has worked with QBs all his life. He's worked at the highest level with QBs and you sort of, I mean, he's getting paid the big bucks here to maybe find that guy who not at isn't from a blue blood, you know, maybe it is the, the kid out of Wyoming has something they like, you know, some of the tools, he had a really good bowl game and stuff like that. I mean, it, things like that, you, you got to have a little bit of, uh, I guess, belief in the, in the guy you hired that he's going to get this right. Um, and, and they're going to add the right piece there. And as far the, as for the, O-line, I wonder, it's interesting that Nurries came up um as a possible center option, new Ely. Um, I could see that and that would be interesting. And the other guy who I'm, I don't think people should write the story on yet is Ethan Piper. And I know he had a really tough year this last season. It started out where he was going to be the left guard and it, it just didn't go well. It was choppy. And then he got injured and, you know, we, we didn't hear a lot from him the rest of the season. But he's only entering his third year in the program, if I'm doing the math right. And, you know, sometimes it's this year or the third or fourth year when it really starts to click for guys. So I'm just saying, get, a guy like that, don't, don't consider it over yet. He could still have a big say in things, and he could be an option there. So, so those are some of the names. Uh, but I do think they probably need to go, uh, go get a guy in the portal on the O-line, too. Another guy.
1: Agreed. Very much uh, agreed.
0: All right. Um, that's all on this side. We're going to come back and we'll analyze Husker hoops as they hit the, uh, well, they're heading to conference play now and they're six and seven. And where are they? Did they find anything in their win the other night? We'll go through that and any other uh, miscellaneous items uh, on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, all right welcome back to husker 24 7 our podcast here it's uh michael Brunts on the other end i'm brian Christofferson. uh no mike schaefer he's in the process of he's moving uh i believe he's, he's he's probably got a bunch of boxes over his head right now
1: yes i think that's probably accurate um
0: and is basketball moving is husker hoops moving in the right direction that's what i want to know Brunts. um it's probably hard to Tell with the win over uh, Kennesaw State, but first and foremost, Red Panda performed um, at halftime last night at both the women's and the men's game. And I guess she had a rough, rough outing with at the women's game, but it was an incredible bounce back. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, she. So she a little bit of drama from the women's game in the afternoon. Um, It's as people, if you've been under a rock for the last decade, Red Panda. Uh, moves around the court on a giant unicycle, and then flips bowls on her head um, while on the unicycle. And the, it's a sequence of five. So the the big shebang at the end is is five bowls flipped up on the head. And during the women's game, she she was not able to complete the five. They actually kind of had to give her the give her the old showbiz hook uh, and get her <laughs> off the floor. Um, i i have some reports from people that were at that game that she was mouthing i'm sorry as she was uh, not able to get it done and <laughs> you know the jordan flu game of halftime acts she comes back and just hits one just one after another at the men's game and and leaves like three minutes early because she finished the act that efficiently it was like it, it was huge. I mean, it and and uh, so it's always a treat when Red Panda comes back. I was a little afraid that if things didn't go well, though, in the men's game that she might not come back because apparently that she had had a little bit of a rough outing the last time in Lincoln, and that might have been why she uh, hadn't shown up for a couple couple of years. So good to see her bounce back. It, it's uh, it's it's inspiring to see an athlete at the top of their the top of their game like that. So
0: you're uh, maybe questioning the lighting at
1: PBA. Um, well, it's, it's like everything else there. I mean, you, you come in and you're a great shooter, and then all of a sudden you're not. So it, it, there's something going on in that building, I think. That, that's, that's, my, that's my takeaway.
0: That's interesting. You know, because Nebraska shooting about 26% from three-point range. Maybe not because they're bad shooters. Maybe it's just something in the arena, you know, the settings. If, I mean, if it's affecting Panda... It could yeah. certainly affect CJ Wilcher. Yeah. I mean, uh Red Panda, for what it's worth, um, I th- I know we're having fun with it. She's got an amazing story, actually, um, yeah. like of, of how she uh became such a popular halftime entertainer and she's beloved like across in arenas across the country for those who don't know, and um is is really good and had her unicycle stolen one time, didn't she? She um, did, yep. And then some NBA team bought her a new one and it wasn't quite, she had to get used to it. So you never know what's going on behind the scenes with stuff like that. Um, you were at the game last night. Aside, you you stayed for the second half, I assume, <laughs> after Red Panda or no?
1: I, I, I stuck around for that. Um, and, and actually, you know, as Red Panda had a resurgence in the, the second performance, Nebraska basketball actually looked like a functioning offensive team uh, as they rounded out non-conference play. So we can hit on that real quick. Um, okay, so they, they are heading into a lengthy break, but last night they had 15, three pointers, 20 as a season high, 20 assists. It is Kennesaw state who I believe had not beaten a team to this point that I had heard of. However, um, the ball was moving. The shots were falling. Um, Fred Hoiberg looked like he was having fun on the sidelines. He's kind of had that look the last few games, like he's just watching somebody key his car, but, I, I was at least—I uh, think it was positive that they went to the break with a little bit of good feeling heading into Big Ten play. Where do you think they're at right now?
0: Um, I mean, I'm ha- I'm happy to see the ball go through the net and have a night that was a feel-good night because I think there are guys who care over there. I don't. I, I think sometimes when a team is scuffling, it's easy to quickly act like oh, there's no effort, this and that. And I'm not saying it didn't need to improve in some aspects, especially on the defensive end and some of the stuff we saw that one week where, you know, they got boat raced by Michigan and Auburn. I happen to think Michigan and Auburn are both going to be, I know Auburn's pretty good and I think Michigan will be pretty good when, by the time you get to March. So I do take that into account. I'll be honest, Bruns, if you set an over under on wins now after they get to the new year and the big 10, if you put it at three and a half I'd have to pause for like 15 seconds like my brain normally does but maybe even 20 seconds and I still would maybe go under I don't know I'm just not I I haven't seen enough and Kennesaw State doesn't do it for me where I'm just like like okay you're gonna you're gonna go take down uh, Tom Izzo now you know yeah. it's, I, I just uh I, I appreciate that they're trying to fix this midstream, and they've re, they're adjusting the offense. And Fred Hoiberg did have quick hooks last night, did he not?
1: He did. They uh, uh, Eduardo Andre with an ill-advised cross-court pass was quickly on the bench, as was Casey uh, Tomonaga after a just bizarre step-back long two. Um, so I don't know. Maybe you build on that, but I, I three and a half is probably a good line where it would give me some pause and. I will say, you know, you, you're, you're looking at probably getting uh, Trey McGowan's back mid-January if things continue to progress well. So that's a positive. You're going to need to shoot like they did last night a lot, I think, to have a, a prayer in, in, in Big Ten play. And that's a little bit uh, of a scary place to be considering that they'd only made uh, 10 three-pointers uh, in, in the game. That was their season high until last night. Uh, Fred Hoiberg kind of mentioned this in passing, but if you look at Nebraska's schedule in January, I believe all but one game uh, is against a team that was in the NCAA tournament last year, and that that team that was not was Indiana. So that kind of gives you an idea of what's ahead, um, and and we'll see, I guess, what they're able to kind of continue to to do because it looked like they were doing some different things offensively last night, but. You know, the, the thing that kind of gives me pause, and I think they will probably agree with this, is at the first sign of things not going well, you, you're you're just dropping things and the bucket's spilling and everything else, and it just doesn't look good.
0: Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I think what this season is about, and this, I've said this in past seasons, is I I think you've got to find the rest of the way, like, three, three or four guys out of this roster that you're like, okay, they can be something of what happens next. You know Um, you, you've got to, there's got to be a little bit of that where you're you're starting to figure out who is really part of this nucleus. Because I think, I think one of the, you you can't just keep like every year, like, Oh, here's an entire makeover of everything again, you know, like come Mm -hmm. back and Oh, meet the new team. I think that's going to be too difficult here. Like, I think you have to do some of that. Don't get me wrong. Um, And that's college basketball today, where you're going to have to get guys that are transfer portal guys, and you're going to have to get that stud recruit who maybe is only in college for a year or two before going to the next level. That all matters. But you you need, like, those Breidenbach-type guys, and that's why that injury is so tough. I know he gave the outline, what is it, six to eight months on the recovery? Six, Six to eight
1: months, yeah. He underwent surgery Sorry. on, on uh, Wednesday.
0: So, I mean, it was expected he was going to miss the rest of the year. That was known. But that's a that's a tough climb for a guy who, what I'm talking about, he was one of those guys, right? I mean, where you see what he's about over the next few months and maybe him and a few other guys are pieces you can move forward with and you don't even have him around. And yeah. so that that's that's where it gets really tricky, I think.
1: Yeah, this the scary part is, too, is that a lot of the guys that you are relying on it, to, to be your guys this year are, are likely not going to be here next year. I mean, I, I think, you know, Derek yeah. Walker, uh, you know, both McGowan's, I would be kind of surprised if, if they were both back. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, the the group of guys that you're talking about is, is very small um, that, that they can maybe sort through and find.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where it's tough, really tough for this Husker fan base right now, because they're not used to sort of this just, year after year, shifting of the roster like this, you know, and they, I think if you had the results right now, where like, if you had a, even if it was like a 15 or 16 win season that you posted where you got to the NIT or something, people be like, okay, I see the formula here. I see how this can work if you, if you remodel it right. But when you're kind of in that seven to 10 win category and this season's not over, we'll see what they do. But if you're in that area, again, people, there's a lot of people around here who haven't they haven't seen success by just constantly shifting everything year after year and a whole new line is coming in, you know? So that's where it becomes difficult for folks to believe in it. And, uh, sort of from a PR standpoint where you're in a, I think a little bit of a pickle.
1: Yeah. Well, and and the big 10 is such a tough league to keep resetting the deck in. I mean, it's a, it's a league where you do kind of need, I mean, you can bring in the the one and dones and the transfers, but you do need to have, a core group that you can kind of build around, I think, at some point to, you know, have some continuity. Because I, I, you're right. I mean, it is a lot to, it's a lot to continue rebuilding, you know, and, and, and kind of starting anew every season. But at the same time, I, I think, you know, you're also asking the fans to continue to buy in to these constant resets. And, and that's, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes if, if the results aren't there, the faith is a little bit harder to find.
0: Well, that's, that's about all we got because I Bruns turned on his camera, which is a sig. he had turned off his camera. He didn't want me to see him, and that's the signal that it's time to go when he turns his camera back on. He put he took his hat off, I noticed, too. Now it's back on.
1: I gave you the Where Bill you gonna... Callahan, let's get out of here gesture, too. Is that what that is? Yeah. Um,
0: was your head hot? You took your hat off
1: there. <laughs> it's got a little worked up. A little, little uh... <laughs> worked
0: up talking Husker hoops. I noticed that late. Uh, you give me credit for uh, being observant of that. Uh, it's. I was watching Rocky last night, the original Rocky and uh, kind of a romantic part in the movie that I think is underplayed is at the end when he's lo- They're announcing that he lost a fight in the background and he says, you lost your hat to Adrian after getting his brains beat in for 15 rounds. He was that in love with Adrian that he noticed that her hat had fallen off as it was on prior to the fight. I, I'm, I'm always kind of – it gets me a little ticker running a little bit when I see that part.
1: They decided they needed, what, five more of those?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean – well, I mean, the Rocky Adrian romance is – I mean, that, that's uh, relationship goals, right, as the kids say? Do yes. the kids still say that?
1: I don't think they do. Okay. And, and we shouldn't either.
0: All right. Anyway, uh, that's all we got for this week's uh, broadcast of Husker 24 – seven podcasts. Uh, we hope you have a good Christmas and we'll still have stuff on the website uh, throughout. Obviously they're going to have to hire probably multiple coaches. Now um, we think we might know at least one of them um, as we went through and we'll have a lot more. So come back to the Husker 24 seven for all the latest. Thanks for uh, listening to us all year. We really appreciate it.